0: a special education teacher an administrator and a lawyer walk into a bar and our conversations can get pretty lively and now you'll join us while we talk all about special education and the public school system I'm Robin Fabiano, a special education teacher and a building-based student services administrator. And I'm joined by Abby Hanscom, a district level student services administrator, and Angela Smagula, a founding partner at Con & Smagula, specializing in educational law. We've been working together across multiple districts since 2009 and have lots of opinions about special education. In this podcast, we hope to share information, lessons learned, interviews with VIPs, and bring some humor to an otherwise serious topic. But before we get started, three disclaimers. One, the views shared on this podcast are our own and don't represent the views of the district in which we work. Two, everyone might want Khan and Smugula as their attorneys, but Angela is not giving legal advice during this podcast. Three, Although there are federal laws governing special education, we work in Massachusetts, a state that has extra protections, so some of what we speak about may not apply in your state. So let's get started. Hi, Angela. Hi, Abby. Hello. Hi, Robin. Out Hi, there? Abby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you.
0: I thought I I was going to be doing this by myself tonight. Nope. No such luck. Thank God. The listeners are probably like, please don't let her do it by herself. (laughs) We have um, an interesting topic tonight. We're going to be talking about specially designed instruction. And we found that there can be a, a misunderstanding about what makes what we do different than a general education teacher or even a general education teacher teaching in a small group? What's the difference between specially designed instruction and extra help? What makes us different? And so when we talk about does a child need special education, we think about the eligibility process and we think about one, does a child have a disability? Two, are they making effective progress? And if not, is that lack of progress tied to their disability? And then the last question on the eligibility flowchart is, does the child require specially designed instruction? And there's like crickets. The parents are like, what is that? So we're going to talk about what that is. Um, And Abby actually has just come back from a cool workshop supporting teachers. in honing their special education skills. So I think you've got a lot to add to tonight's podcast.
1: Well, thanks. And I have to say, I'm pretty inspired by the people I worked with because I think special ed teachers are drawn to our field in part because of their curiosity and interest in doing exactly this. And then they go to grad school and they get a license that allows them to do this. And then the big question is, what is this, right? And so for tonight, we're talking about this idea called specially designed instruction. And the IDEA really says, basically, it's this idea of taking the content and adapting it um, to meet the kids' individual needs. And that's really cool. And it's something that most teachers never get to do if you're in general ed or maybe like wish they could do. And we get to do it every day. So I think for tonight, our goal is to break that down a little bit, understand what it means, and also think about what the differences are between differentiated instruction and general ed instruction and what special ed instruction is. So I'm hoping we can clarify that. So I want to read the exact definition from IDEA.
0: So specially designed instruction is defined as Adapting as appropriate to the needs of an eligible child under this part, the content, methodology, or delivering of instruction, A, to address the unique needs of the child that result from the child's disability, right? So I think that's important, that linkage to the child's disability. Two, ensure access to the child to the general education curriculum, so that the child can meet the educational standards within the jurisdiction of the public agency that apply to all children. So, what are the standards that all students are trying to reach? And whatever instruction, the specially designed instruction is, um, is tied to should be should be linked and related to the standards of the state or the school.
1: Yeah, and I think what's so important about that is this idea that it's all about access to general ed. So our whole kind of purpose as a field was to help kids access the general ed content as described by their community, state, you know, whatever, federal government. And except for a very small number of kids who are on a wholly separate uh, trajectory, The vast majority of kids in special education really do require that skill set from us. And I just have to say, Angela, you and I have had this conversation a hundred times where it's like, who are the experts in doing that? You know, and to be honest with you, it's the learning center teacher, resource room teacher, special program teacher. It's really not people in offices somewhere out in special clinics. It's really people who are in the day-to-day business of teaching kids and so that expertise and that linkage to general ed is, is a hallmark of, of the definition of everything we do. And that's really powerful. And I think we found just from our
0: times in um, public school settings and also observing in private school settings that the closer um, in the the more collaboration special education teachers have and access to general education teachers in curriculum, the more aligned the specially designed instruction ends up being and more aligned to state standards than in private, sub-separate special education schools where maybe they don't have all of the modeling of the general education teachers and students.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because Something specific to special ed is this idea that you're supposed to explicitly map out the kids' curriculum uh, to close the gap between where they are and where their typically developing general ed peers are. And you can only do that really if you have access to typically developing general ed peers who are informed by general ed teachers. Now, I think there is always and will always be a very appropriate Uh, you know, ecosystem for, for folks who teach very, very substantially separate context for kids who need that. And I think that's very important and part of special ed forever. I think that for many kids, however, there's this weird, subtle kind of lowering of expectations in general ed that kind of over time drift them away from the general ed standards. And that's really in less restrictive settings than what you know, certainly kids with severe disabilities require, right? So what we want to talk about tonight, I think, is what makes the important skills of a learning center teacher, perhaps a resource room teacher, people are certified in moderate special needs. How does that work for them to kind of tie into the general ed curriculum and not have their students drift away over time, away from the grade level standards? Um, And it seems to me the number one thing is this idea of explicit instruction, that it's something that is um, purposefully planned and and performed to connect back to the general ed curriculum, and not kind of be homework help. And that's maybe our first big idea we want to talk about tonight.
0: Yeah, the idea that the skill that is being taught is individualized to what the student needs, and that really can only be done thoughtfully and purposefully in a small group setting. You can't individualize your instruction to a class of 25 students. Um, And so the the explicit instruction, the opportunity to really be um, able to observe whether or not the student has um, demonstrated their understanding of the skill So that assessment piece really um, can only be done in a small group setting.
1: I'm curious too, Angela, what you think, because you must talk to teachers sometimes and they don't have confidence in their own expertise and knowledge as professionals. Like they have master's degrees and they're kind of clueless about the power of that.
2: Yeah, the grid speaks to that, right? When it talks about who's delivering whatever the the service is in the C grid or the B grid, and we get caught up on who that person is and what the qualifications of that person is. But a a hallmark of specially designed instruction is that it has to be delivered by a special educator. So inherently, that means that the the special educator is the expert doing what the prime move of the IEP is. It's, It's interesting when you back into specially designed instruction as the last piece on the eligibility flowchart, I mean, I always talk about it as that's why someone needs an IEP as opposed to a 504 or nothing, right? And so then what is that? And then when you actually are breaking down the IEP, you have goals and objectives. And the goals and objectives are reflective of the specially designed instruction. But that gets forgotten. So if a student doesn't need specially designed instruction, You sit there spinning your wheels trying to figure out what goals and objectives are because it stems directly from whatever the individualized instruction is going to be to access the curriculum and make effective progress within usually the general ed setting.
1: It's funny because I do think special ed got born out of this weird gap that there was general education and then there was nothing for people with significant disabilities, right? And so special ed got born and we were on the exterior of that. And it's taken like our whole careers, you guys, for the middle to fill in, right? For the kind of infrastructure of, I don't even know what you would call it, tier two, right? Like literacy specialists, math specialists, other people to kind of come on board. And so nowadays, you don't qualify for special education if you don't need sustained, intensive, Intervention from someone with skills that are different than your classroom teacher. And I think that's important. And I'm not sure that's clear all the way around in the field because it's different state to state. Well, I think there are
0: three ways of looking at specially designed instruction. So when I think about that flowchart and and getting to answer that question, and a parent says to me, What is specially designed instruction? I say, Does the child need either one, specialized content? Do they need to be taught something different um, than what everyone else is being taught? Two, do they need specialized methodology or instruction? Do they need to be taught in a different way? So maybe it's the same topic, but they need the instruction to be different. Or three, performance uh, criteria or assessment. Do they need to show or demonstrate their knowledge in a different way? Do we need to be assessing them in a specialized manner? And so students need to hit one of those buckets or all three of those buckets most of the time to qualify for special education. Um, And to me, when I'm thinking about in which areas does that child need the support in um, and then kind of build it back from there.
1: Yeah. And I want to give credit to general ed. I think they've come a long way in terms of building out like district accommodation plans, building accommodation plans, where people really have gone through a process as general ed instructors to say like, what what supports do we offer all kids? And then you do hit a finite end there where it may not be possible to offer some supports to all kids. And I do think that's where you start to get into what is different about special ed. And the truth is we are skilled in providing modifications to the, the state standards for content. And when you get into severe intensive certification, folks are making very tactical decisions about what the priorities are for each individual kid. And I think that's really cool and shouldn't be undervalued in our field. It's a very, very powerful thing that, that teachers are able to do when they have a special ed licensure. And I I hope for our field that people feel more more confident and prouder about their ability to do that because it really is a big responsibility when you think about it. Um, And parents are putting a lot of trust in us to make those recommendations to them as part of the team process. I actually think that the students
0: that have the most intensive disabilities need the most qualified instructors. They're doing the most individualized planning and instruction. And so they need someone who is very highly qualified, someone who can really be thoughtful and um, explicit around making those content choices. It's a lot of responsibility to make those decisions and then be able to um, deliver instruction and then also to assess whether or not their instruction is working. And for those really disabled students, that can be a hard thing to assess, and so you need very savvy, smart, thoughtful, um, really highly qualified teachers in those positions.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I also wanted to say that it's uh, differentiated instruction is not specially designed instruction. That's that's different for the the reasons that you guys have both talked about in the three buckets that you talked about, and when you talk about families that make decisions rightly or wrongly to put their kid in a private school that may not necessarily be a a special education school but smaller and with more attention from teachers and with more help like that's also not specially designed instruction so you'll find that families will say oh, I think maybe Johnny just needs these things, a smaller smaller space and less students and more one-to-one attention. But it's not the same as specially designed instruction from a special educator. And so savvier families realize that then when they're giving that up, the solve isn't necessarily just a smaller classroom size. We, we
1: just had that happen this week in a meeting, Angela, where The district was saying, your student has intensive needs. We would support looking at out-of-district placements. And the advocate for the family said, I'm not sure that you're going to get a more intensive program in an out-of-district placement. I think what you're going to get is more intensive support, but it may not lead to independence. And I thought that was a really insightful and good advocacy, frankly, because sometimes Independence is found when you have to struggle a little bit more, may, maybe on the ratio or the context or something. But the outcome when you're 22 might be that you can tolerate waiting, or you can tolerate frustration, or you can tolerate being in a group of two to one instead of one to one. And um, this person kind of saw that coming a decade out, and really said, "I think you should consider really a variety of of um, placement options." parents because this district is trying really hard to work with you. And I thought that was really thoughtful and probably in that kid's best interest. Um, That
2: sounds like, that sounds like a unicorn to me, but I think that's a great story.
1: And it really just happened. And I got two phone calls afterwards being like, this meeting was confusing. And I was like, no, it isn't. It's great. It was exactly what should have happened because it's true. And that person was really advocating for, for that family and for that student. And I appreciated that a ton. Um, I think the other kind of interesting thing is that specially designed instruction is supposed to be predicated on this idea of moving you towards your personal growth Um, which should be aligned with your curriculum frameworks and not moving you away from them. And there is a subtle thing about, I think, um, making a student feel comfortable and taking the pressure off and decreasing the anxiety that can sometimes lead to kids feeling like they aren't really progressing. And so there's a genuine reality to that. And you probably see it in high school, Robin, I'm thinking. Actually, I was going to say,
0: I feel like I see that when um, the decision is made to use a replacement curriculum. Yep. And I get worried when teams make that determination. And I understand there are certain times where that needs to happen. But when you make a decision to use, for example, a replacement math curriculum, something that is different than what the general education teachers. Are implementing, you automatically cut the um, breadth and depth of content automatically because the pace is slower, the numbers are slower, they use less language. And um, that worries me because that to me often leads to a larger gap in that content area. And it's super hard to get back on track once you go that replacement curriculum um, path. So that to me is uh, um, something I think about really uh, strongly before making that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it takes like three years of stitching that stuff back together to regroup, to be near grade level. And I think we know how to do that, and it's tremendously time-consuming. So I guess I would just say those decisions not only are serious and uh, profound in their outcome, but also aren't just like taken on by mere mortals. They're taken on by people who have thought about this, like special ed teachers with licenses who have really uh, contemplated the pros and cons of this. And that's why there's a team process. I think the other um, big idea, I guess, for tonight is just this thing that getting your master's degree in special ed is kind of cool and it's a different degree than uh, getting a master's degree in English or math or science teaching. And it has these other kind of important considerations attached to it. And if nothing else, I hope we can help people feel good about those choices and feel like proud about those choices and understand that their opinions should be grounded in data and facts and not their feelings or opinions. Um, but that if they are, special ed administrators and attorneys in their district will probably like them and back them up when there's a question at hand. I'm assuming those are the kind of uh, witnesses you like to prep, Angela. That's accurate. I mean, I have
2: never met a special education teacher, maybe other than Robin, actually, That was like excited to talk to me as an initial matter, but then they eventually come around. And I I think a lot of people go into special education because they like to be challenged and use their brain every day. I mean, that's what I say, like why I became a lawyer is because most days, maybe not today, but tonight, definitely like I'm using my brain. Right. I'm, I'm thinking I'm just not like sailing through. And really, as a special educator and as a teacher in general, but really as a special educator, you're not just on automatic pilot, right? You're implementing individualized, specially designed instruction, which is complex, right? And requires um, thought and focus and intention and preparation. So I have a ton of respect for um, go- people that go into that profession. Again, a profession that I didn't even really know existed. The other thing I wanted to say is that um, in preparing for this podcast, and I think Robin covered this, but another aspect of specially designed instruction is teaching specific skills that allow student to access the general curriculum. So when you see something like academic support, right, and preview and review and some of that executive functioning stuff, that's all specially designed instruction as well. And so you know, that's why sometimes you have an IEP and people say, oh, this IEP is super light, right? It only has academic strategies, you know, three times 40 or whatever the hell, right? But it's actually not. That is a critical component of specially designed instruction for that kid to then access whatever class they're
0: accessing, including advanced placement classes, right? It can be actually even trickier to teach than reading, for example, because reading follows a scope and sequence and there are curriculums, but to teach someone to apply an organizational strategy across every single um, p- assignment that they have in all of the different um, classes with the different directions and different due dates, that is super tricky.
1: Absolutely. And I give a lot of credit to high school learning center teachers, frankly, because often, and I've been observing lately because we have a graduate intern who's doing a great job in a high school learning center, and she'll shift from supporting geometry to supporting algebra to helping an English assignment. And then she'll re-gear underneath to like an SEL skill and then she'll come back at somebody with a study strategy and she's doing it all in adolescent friendly language while keeping a firm lid behaviorally on the entire situation and she's doing it like within 47 minutes across seven kids and so when you understand the sophistication of that and the and the kind of breadth of her understanding of the content of the high school and sometimes she switches into Spanish to be like, and your next grammar assignment is X. You're like, got it. That's pretty cool. And so I do think that there's a skill set there, Angela, that ties in both the technical and personal skills of that. But the executive functioning trumps everything. It's just overlaid, especially six to 12. I think it's overlaid across all of secondary school hugely. Abby, I think we should talk
0: about how this connects to our topic from last week of uh, UDL, um, Universal Design for Learning, because when we spoke about it, um, we talked about how it can be used within the, the the classroom to differentiate instruction and meet a variety of learners. Like this is like the perfect approach if you have a diverse class. But I want to highlight that that's not specially designed instruction. That's a instructional technique that can be used within the context of a whole classroom um, or sometimes a small group, but it's it's an instructional strategy, but it's
1: not what we would call specially designed instruction. From my vantage point, that's the purview of general education. And that's why I stay far, far away from meetings about those topics because as a special ed director, I need Our colleagues in general education to grapple with those dynamics and develop approaches and skills in general education that support kids from a UDL lens. And it is not special ed. And that's just true. Uh, The reality is that special education really does speak to a different skill set and it speaks to the individualization of content for kids with disabilities who are not making effective progress and for whom. Only effective progress can be gained via what we do. And that is miles and miles away from UDL. Well, if that doesn't make our teacher listeners feel
0: proud of themselves. Because they're awesome.
1: Totally. And I guess I would just um, send out a big thumbs up to the special ed teachers who are continuing to put school back together this fall for kids with disabilities. It's been a challenging fall. We've had a lot of variety of behavioral and academic demands. And the truth is people are working really hard and I think they're doing a great job and we're going to get through this, but it's in part because of the skills of special ed teachers that we'll get there. Rock on special ed teachers.
2: Agreed. Agreed.
0: Sounds like a good place to end on a positive. Yep. Very positive. So we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. If you have any questions, you can reach us at astalpodcast at gmail.com.